Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. At CPI, 7.5% year-over-year, the highest rate since 1982. How does a market perform in the face of that headwind? Let's check in with Avery Sheffield, co-founder and CIO of Vantage Rock as part of Rockefeller Asset Management. Avery, thanks so much for joining us. What did you take away from a 7.5% CPI print? Yes. Well, I mean, inflation is raging. I mean, it was kind of as anticipated given what we've seen in companies' results. Um, I think what this means is that, you know, we're going to continue to see more pressure um, on consumers um, and consumer spending. And really what, what the, the, the key for us is, you know, where is this priced into the market and, and, and where it isn't, you know, from a stock perspective. Do you expect uh, this to cool down by year end significantly? I mean, we've mm -hmm. had people yep. say it's going to come down, but, you know, it's still going to be 4%. We've had the other people um, uh, the minority of the people we ask say, yeah, we'll get back down to two. Yes, I'm, I think it's going to uh, continue longer than anticipated and higher than anticipated because, you know, even just in earnings results this morning, we're hearing companies talk about price increases in the mid, at least in the mid single digits, even in the food space that we haven't even seen yet in stores. Um, you know, we have a, a wage rates going up that are just starting to, to, to factor in. And in I would say, like, I mean, no one knows, of course, what the absolute where this is going to settle out. You know, is it going to run 7 percent plus forever? You know, I don't know if it'll be that high. Um, Two percent, though, just instinctively seems seems far too low. And I really think what, what what's changed um, that that will endure um, is, is that one one key factor that has kept inflation so low uh, for many years has actually been that companies have been paid um, by investors to invest. Uh, to grow and to grow at any at any cost, um, in meaning at, at low margins or negative margins. And now that many of these companies have reached a, a, a large scale and aren't able to grow um, by gaining share anymore, they're actually having to raise price um, in order to justify their business models. We've seen this in e-commerce recently. We've seen this in um, home entertainment. We've seen this in the, even the exercise space. Across the board, companies that have been lost generating or nearly lost generating and gaining massive share are now slowing growth dramatically and looking to raise price in order to, to grow revenues. And so that dynamic, I think, is very underappreciated and likely to lead to a higher level of inflation than we've seen in the past. All right. So given that background, Avery, where are you and your friends at Vantage Rock? Where are you guys putting money to work these days? Yeah, no, great question. So we are, um, we, you know, we're long short. And so on the long side, uh, we are investing in companies that we think have underappreciated pricing power and are really positioned to benefit um, from these inflationary dynamics from a competitive perspective. So um, so and, and, and then on the short side, we, we actually are short companies that we think um, are believed to have pricing power uh, and, and, and probably are not likely to. So two specific areas um, on the long side that, that we're, we're excited about. One is retailers that have kind of been disintermediate or, or everyone thought were going to go away because of e-commerce growth. And now e-commerce is significantly slowing. I've been talking about like peaking e-commerce. Um, and now that that's slowing, that's a headwind that's gone away to gone away to or that's that, that, um, subsiding to margins. 
And we expect that dynamic to continue because the costs of e-commerce delivery are continuing to go up. And those companies that actually have stores and great merchandise are going to be the cost advantage um, to offer lower prices to their consumers. I think that's really underappreciated. These stocks are not are all, all still priced like they're going to have massive headwinds for a long time. Um, another area with underappreciated pricing power is actually um, in the telecommunications space. Actually, this morning, CPI it, uh, it tele- like wireless telecommunications still came in actually at a little bit negative year over year, down negative 0.5%. And we think that that's about to change. You know, if you look at cable, if you look at even landline services, um, their CPIs run in kind of mid-single digits. And those companies are trade like they're, they're never going to have any pricing power, but you have consolidation in the sector um, and, uh, and, and, and you actually have a lot more stability and churn, which we think um, can lead to underappreciated pricing powers for cheap valuations. Mm. And then again, on the short side, um, you have e-commerce players that are still very expensive, even if stock prices have come down. And then you have um, companies in, in, in other areas. Um, that have been considered to be very stable businesses uh, with with strong barriers to entry, uh, but again, growth is slowing, and uh, and and we think that they're going to be less successful in passing on price increases uh, than people thought. All right, all, all right. right, Avery. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Avery Sheffield, co-founder and CIO of Vantage Rock. It's part of the Rockefeller Asset Management Group. All right, let's talk about one of the fastest growing areas on Wall Street, certainly attracting a tremendous amount of capital. That's ETFs, and nobody better to chat ETFs than Ben Slavin, Global Head of ETFs at BNY Mellon Asset Servicing. Ben, uh, thanks so much for joining us here. You know, I look at the ETF space, and it's just, I'm wondering, is it just cost or lack thereof in terms of fees that is really driving the the I guess the reallocation of, of capital, maybe from mutual funds to ETFs, is it just cost? What else is the attractive, uh, or what else is the driver there? Fees are a big part of this, but there's really more going on. After a quiet January, we've seen an absolute avalanche of flows into ETF the past week, um, you know, of about $36 billion that came over the past five days. Um, and we're coming again off a record year. So clearly, there are investors that are looking not just for fees, but other ways to access investment strategies in the ETF wrapper. They also provided a much-needed bout of liquidity recently um, with the volatility we've seen, and it sent ETFs soaring to over 40% of the total market volume, up from 25% of the total trading volume last year. And so while those broad-based, cheap, passive ETFs are getting their share, and will continue to get their share, we are seeing um, investors increasingly look at uh, other ways to play this market, such as financial sectors, semiconductors, floating rate ETFs, just trying to look at other ways to tactically position for this market with what we're seeing uh, with the Fed, potential Fed hikes, uh, the inflation print this morning, and, and repositioning at this part of the market cycle. So quite a bit going on there. How do you, I mean, on the one hand, um, you want to make sure you're buying the right sectors, uh, the uh, wrappers that you have are uh, around the right companies. But on the other hand, you want to make sure that you're getting um, the right ETF structure, not paying um, fees that are too high. How do you look at the, the sort of more technical side, um, the kind of back office side of ETFs? Yeah. Well, on one hand, it's getting easier, and on one hand, it's getting uh, more complicated. 
I think the more complicated part of this is really um, the explosion in the number of products uh, that are available. We saw a record year last year in terms of new launches, but we also saw a record number of new entrants come into the ETF market. I think the statistic is around a quarter of um, issuers right now in the ETF market came uh, to the market last year, and that's increasingly creating a lot of noise. The good news for investors is that the transparency that ETFs offer um, provides an excellent window and tool for investors to be able to dig in and really see what those ETFs own on a daily basis. And all of that information um, you know, is made available, whether it be on the website or other data sources. Uh, so for investors to, to really understand what their exposure is and how to quickly find um, the types of either broad-based index trackers or tactical, uh, more thematic type funds that, that investors are seeking these days. Hey, Ben, another really hot area, hot topic within financial services is crypto. And talk to us about the crypto ETF opportunities out there. I know we've had some recently, but it's more on the futures rather than the underlying uh, crypto. Give us a sense of how that market's evolving. Yeah, it's an incredibly hot space, um, as you mentioned. Um, first, we've seen you know the markets uh, start to stabilize. I mean, you know, Bitcoin has broken through the downward trend resistance level here since the, the low in November. It's up today. It's trading around forty-five thousand. Um, but we've seen an incredible amount of investor interest and an expansion in the products that are available. There are now more than 80 crypto ETFs trading around the world. Um, but, you know, the flow picture more recently has been negative uh, in the last few months, not surprising given markets, but it's turned positive recently, and we've seen inflow into those products. Now, in the U.S., we just have futures-based uh, ETFs here available given what's currently allowable uh, under the rules. Um, and we have seen uh, interest uh, you know, in those products, but no particular movement yet around the physical or spot-based Bitcoin ETFs from the SEC. So at this point, investors have uh, the futures-based products to, to choose from um, that are you know, currently active and, and trading in the market, but, but again, offer a different type of exposure compared to to a spot Bitcoin position. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your insight here. People are working from home. They're learning from home. They're putting more and more data in the cloud. That raises some security issues in my mind, um, and I think in a lot of people's minds as well. As again, they do more banking from home and all that type of stuff, more financial services. TJ Jung. CEO and co-founder of Avpoint. That is a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. AVPT is the symbol there. Uh, It's got a market cap of about $1.2 billion. Um, TJ, thanks so much for joining us here. I just, can you step back and just give us a sense of how the average person's data is secure? How secure is it, generally speaking? Uh, Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, so we actually uh, really focus on large enterprise and B2B uh, data usage patterns and even small businesses. What we found is actually 92% of the data leakage happened unintentionally done by internal actors. At the same time, though, we actually did a survey of over 1,000 what we call managed service providers. Uh, these are small 
service outfits that help small businesses get onto cloud. Um, and uh, over 50% of them have reported uh, recent ransomware attacks. So there's a saying in our industry, uh, it's really uh, not a matter of um, you know, whether you got attacked, uh, hacked. It's, a, it's just a matter of when you realize it or when. So, yeah, it, it, it's a scary time right now. Um, that means you know, your data, your enterprise data in cloud, on-prem, need to be secure. And this is where AppPoint comes in. Uh, we're a software company that build technology to help businesses to collaborate on-prem in the cloud with confidence across Microsoft 365, Google Workspace, and Salesforce. So um, how can this be changed? I mean, it seems to me it's just getting worse and worse, the, uh, you know, the attacks. Um, and I can't, I can't be confident that the defense can keep up. Yeah, it's definitely a multi-layered approach. Obviously, you have the uh, authentication, uh, password, uh, you know, control, multi-factor authentication just to run uh, the parameter. Uh, what we do is we also focus on, you know, internally uh, who's accessing what, when. So we actually recently released a uh, cloud product called Confide that allow business users to control who has access, uh, security share that, but also mindful of the data residency requirements that you may have uh, to satisfy regulatory requirements. So we actually support this over 8 million cloud users today. So it's truly a multi-layer approach. Uh, we're also um, looking at releasing solution where we can uh, alert business users in real time when a ransomware attack is happening so that detection capabilities. So, but it is, you know, there's that technology. There's also the education because you're only as strong as your weakest link. There's all kinds of social engineering happening now in real time around, you know, getting somebody to click something, right? So then the attacker get into the system. So what we focus on is, you know, looking in the system and looking for uh, weird patterns and, and try to catch that. But you're right. It, it is a uh, cat and mouse game, and it's, a, uh, it's also uh, a weapons race at the same time. It's, uh, it's not an um, easy problem to solve. And TJ, I, you know, I guess I have some level of confidence that large corporations can, you know, make the investments needed to secure their data. Although there's lots of examples where they get ha hacked as well. But small and mid-sized businesses and people and people, what and what can small and mid-sized businesses I've been and hit individuals twice. do? In the last week, I've been fished. Yep, and also kind of scammed on the phone. Yep, and I it's out there. Like, I feel like it's worse in the U.S. than it is in Germany. It's never happened to me in Germany. As soon as I get back to the U.S., Boom. it's like I'm yeah. getting all these calls, uh, telemarketers, scammers, yep. and then I, I, I get fished. And so 30 seconds, TJ, what do the small and mid-sized businesses do? So small to mid-sized businesses, uh, one, obviously, education, right, to be aware. Uh, secondly, is deploy technology that can also recover for them in case of a uh, attack. But when you talk about the phishing, I actually had an experience where when I landed into a, 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 a country, third world country at one point where as soon as my phone pings the antenna, they actually sent me a SMS from Citibank, right? Mm. And masquerading <laughs> as a login page. So yeah, it, it is scary. Uh, we he hear almost every other week. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a combination of uh, process uh, with education, 
as well as deployment technology. And this is where we actually help a yep. lot of small businesses uh, with essentially even ransomware data recovery warranties. So, right. yeah, it's a, it's a combination. But it is someone something that we have to be very mindful of and continue right. to be vigilant. All right, TJ, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting your thoughts here on this big issue, cybersecurity. Boy, you can talk about it all day. TJ Jung, CEO and co-founder of AvPoint. All right, let's bring on somebody who actually knows what's going on in this whole space. Dan Ives, Managing Director, Senior Equity Analyst at Wedbush Securities. We talked to Dan about a whole number of topics related to technology. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here. Had some good numbers out of Disney last night. The streaming business seems to be doing pretty well for them. You know, as you take a look at Peloton, again, the stock bounced back, Dan, from those lows here. Do you think there's a a natural owner for Peloton that, uh, other than it being a standalone company? Yeah, and and I think the street's interpreting that Peloton's, there's going to be for sale sign on the lawn, right? And, that, and that's why the stock's up, because you know, I think when you look at Apple, that's probably, in our opinion, the most natural buyer that would fit its exercise as well as sort of next-gen healthcare initiatives. Hmm. And, and I think other bidders could be there, and Amazon and Nike, you talk about Disney because it's all about content, getting more into the living room, and you got three million subscribers and a premium brand. And if you look at the history of consumer brands that then started to cut cost, Fitbit, GoPro, there's a graveyard of them, right? So I think Peloton, the rings in the wall. But what about streaming fitness? Does that make sense to you as an emerging market? I mean, um, if Disney starts to pick up. Peloton trainers and tonal trainers, can it eventually, um, you know, get a Netflix-style foothold in that market? Well, and I think what you're seeing with Disney, I mean, they're on the aggressive, starting to close that gap with Netflix. And I think part of why the stock's reacting the way it did, after that Netflix disaster quarter, the view has ripped the Band-Aid off with Disney. Instead, it was the opposite, along with Strong on the park side. So I think Disney's going to continue to be aggressive on content, yeah, you look at things like the Sunday night ticket, which we believe Apple would also bid for as well. More and more, yep. there's going to be an arms race. It's content. And that's why even when you look at Peloton, can't just think about like streaming exercise. It's, it's a content service that goes more and more another touch point to the consumer. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, Dan. I, I guess it is all about content. Sumner Redstone was right. Content is king. But it's hard to kind of, you know, sync up the disappointing sub numbers from Netflix versus the better than expected for Disney. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Ozark fan, so I will, I'm all in on that Netflix in this quarter. But is it just about content, and uh, is it just whoever spends the most, I guess? Well, also, they're bundled with ESPN, you know, as, as I think been very successful. The Beatles was another yep. driver in terms of incremental. Watch but that. It comes down to they have a unique ecosystem. But Netflix, look, Netflix is on the top of the mountain. So from there, you can only go down, right? right. There's much more, for, especially on the international subside. But, but, I mean, look, if you take a step back, this has been a Nathan Chen-like earning season for tech <laughs> Bring it in. That's, see, Matt didn't get your reference, but I watched uh, the figure skating last night. I'm all over that. Ah, I was like, who's Nathan Chen? Yeah, he killed it. Is he? Does he? Figure does he skate for America? Yeah. Oh, so he didn't switch his allegiance to China yet. No, he didn't. Okay. He's, he's the ice skating goat. Yep. 
Yeah, he 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 beat it. All right, you know I know Matt doesn't like to talk about autos very much, Dan, but I got to get your thought here on Tesla uh, as just I really want to get it from the perspective of competitive positioning. How do you think Tesla positions itself in it? What it will be an increasingly competitive EV market. Well, I think they further flex the muscles from a supply perspective. Right now, demand's outstripping supply by thirty percent, wow. and if you look at electric vehicles. Ford, GM, VW, and others are going to significantly go after this. And there's going to be many winners. But in terms of Tesla, because of the distribution and because of the factory build-out of what's happened in Austin, as well as the, the further build-out in China and we believe Berlin in the coming months, they're going to be able to really expand supply to 2 million units per year. And that's the key. And, you know, I think part of why Tesla's language is because Musk talking about the supply chain I think really, you know, sort of fan the flames there. And I think now it's just about a supply issue, not a demand issue. How do you you think the uh, supply chain crisis and the chip shortage is sorting out? Are you getting um, this earnings season better visibility? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a clear moderation going into February and March. We saw not just from GM, we're seeing it across our checks in Asia. And I think we could talk inflation and tenure all we want. The biggest overhang in tech is the supply chain. That starts to moderate, hugely bullish. And that's why I think you come at earnings season, you know, tech earnings really across the board, from chips to software, some of the large players on cloud, Microsoft, Apple, you know, Amazon, and others, robust. And that's why I believe tech stocks move higher here you know, in terms of what we're seeing on the fundamentals. Hey, Dan, always good catching up with you. We just throw all things that come to our minds at you, and you've got great color. We appreciate it. Dan Ives, Managing Director and Senior Equity Analyst at Wedbush uh, Securities, covering all things tech. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.